trigger warning. Some of the stories we share on this podcast are graphic in nature and could upset some listeners. Welcome to the Survivor Revival podcast. This is a series of real, raw and compelling stories and interviews with survivors who have suffered from several forms of abuse, from child sexual abuse through to domestic violence and everything in between. Professors, politicians, experts and everyday women and men sharing their stories of suffering and their ongoing journey of restoration and healing. Join author, host and survivor Jennifer Brocky as she talks to survivors, offering them a platform to tell their truths in their own words, using their own voices. Hey guys, thanks for popping in today. I'm pretty lucky actually, I've got my little sister here with us today. Hi. She's going to have a chat with us all about what it's like being in a really different family, really. It's so confusing to kind of explain it, isn't it, Ronnie? It's like, how do you explain the privilege that we had? Very dysfunctional. Yeah, it was. But I think people looking in, like even if we go back to those days, people looking in kind of had that, oh, you know, they've got everything. They go away on holidays to the Hawkesbury. Storybook family. Yeah. It, see on the movies. It did. It looked like that on the outside, didn't it? Yep. Like, and everyone thought that we were so privileged and we had so much of this and so much of that. And the thing was, is what none of them realised is once some went down, our place was a much different place than most people's. Yep. Yeah, I think it was um, misleading to a lot of people to kind of think that, you know, we drove around in new cars, we had any kind of clothing or new we couldn't call them devices because we didn't have devices back then but on the surface it looked like we had everything so we accidentally kind of ended up having people that were jealous of something that they didn't understand and they couldn't understand because they couldn't see it no I even had friends in high school that thought I had the perfect family life and it's weird isn't it because how do you say to them well I'm just going to stop you right there we don't have a perfect life you know it's I don't know, it makes it hard because you're trying to live within the confines of this family, not betraying anybody's trust or whatever, because we're forbidden to speak about these things outside of the home. You weren't allowed to. What was said in the home, I had to stay in the home. Exactly. I just don't think people could really understand the level of violence that was happening inside our home. No, dreaded walking up those front steps every day. At which house are we talking about? Are we talking about in Ballina? Yeah, all of them. Yeah, I used to do the same thing. Like when we'd walk into that driveway at St Mary's, walk around the back corner and think, oh, my God, whose cars are here? Like what's what's going to be happening today? Basically, as soon as I hit the front lawn, I just stop talking. I just walk inside. It's weird, isn't it? Like how you just sort of fold in on yourself because you're not sure what's going to happen. Well, if you voiced your opinion, you got in trouble. Exactly. All the while, but he's saying to us, oh, you know, we want to raise you to be able to say whatever you want to say to whoever you want to say it to, but just be respectful. But you said something that you thought to someone and um, it kind of changed a little bit. Yeah, it, it, well, it wasn't a given. You just don't. You just keep your mouth shut. I, I just remember back when you were really little, like you and Rose's other two little girls, and, you know, like Christmas time had come and, like, you know, you're doing all the things at school and... You're colouring in your, you know, your little stencils and this and that and whatever else. And, you know, you'd build up this excitement because, you know, Santa's coming and whatever. But it never took much 
for that to be knocked out of you in that household? No, that's why I hid underneath the coffee table all the time. You did actually. That was a really cute. This little face poking out up on these, you know, propped up on these little hands under the under the yeah. coffee table. Oh a and a blanket, and I was right. That's it too. I could do whatever I wanted under there. Exactly. But the thing is too, I think you must have seen probably a lot more than some of us because you were in that position. Like, you know, yeah. there was so many of us coming and going all the time, but here you were, little Ronnie under the coffee table, you know, little yeah. fort. Oh, my yeah. God. It was all right. I was good. Yeah, you were good. What do you think would be the worst memory? Like, what do you think in everything that we kind of witnessed? Let's let's go to St Mary's first. Let's let's leave this episode with St Mary's, like when you were little people. It was harder for me because I was a teenager, so I was already very aware. And, you know, being the children's home and stuff, I was very, very familiar with violence and things like that. But yous were so little. Yous were still little tiny people. So basically what would you say to people that were listening like what it's like to be a child of that kind of lifestyle you're helpless you can't do anything nobody listens to you nobody pays attention when in the moment you're, you're forgotten that's true that's it no, that doesn't matter what was going on around you saw everything yeah and the did. problem is is when you see it as a child those memories stay with you as if you're still a child in that mindset exactly adulthood you only remember how it felt when you were in that moment exactly and what did it feel like for you helpless just I couldn't do anything it didn't matter how much I cried how much I screamed for it to stop how much I tried to get physically tried to get it to stop it didn't stop Nah, there was a lot of aggression in there wasn't there a lot of things that kind of happened and yeah bloody violence things getting broken furniture smashed people being physically hurt I remember that time when I had to hit your father in the back of the head with our Buddha to get him off my yep. mum, like off our mum, our mum who was defenceless, lying on that bed, bloodied and beaten, and his alcohol-fueled rage just kept continuing on. It just kept building and building, and we were little. We How could we get him off, really? Yeah, I know. I remember sitting at their bedroom door screaming. Yeah into that bedroom trying to get him to stop yeah because he'd lock the door that's how much of a coward he was because he knew that if our brothers kind of walked in on that that he would be disturbed doing what he was doing to her and I remember you and our other sister trying to pull me away from the door and I just wouldn't do it I wouldn't leave the bedroom door that's that fear like you think I think what it was was that you thought you could help her in that situation and none of us could and I mean I think I try and get him to stop. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I've seen you wrapped around his legs, yep. like holding onto his legs, like get off, please stop, please stop, and it just doesn't stop. No. And you know, as children, we're not meant to be able to make it stop. We don't know who to go to because I remember once this was years before. Like you, we lived in Rudy Hill, and you were only a little tiny baby, and he had beaten Mum so bad. I ran up the road to Grandma's house. And I got one of our uncles, I won't mention his name because he's still alive and I'm not sure if he'd like that to be out there. But he come back up and pulled him off mum and beat the living shit out of him so he could see what it felt like to be beat up. But it did nothing except for made him turn on mum more. 
He just yeah. got more careful, more sneaky, made sure that he couldn't be discovered and made sure mum learnt how to hide her injuries better and it's just, I don't get it. Yeah. And I used to say to mum too, you know, why don't you leave him? And she says, well, with seven children, because back, you know, back then there was very little assistance to anything or for anything. She said, where do I go? So she was completely controlled by money. That's what she used to say to me, even as a teenager. I said, I wouldn't leave him. Yeah. I'll help you leave him, but where do I go? No, it was um, pretty rough out there. But the one thing, like this is something that I'd like the listeners to understand too. In amongst all of this violence that was going on and we witnessed all this stuff happening to our mum, we watched endless amounts of violence, terror, just the nightmares were awful, the... This picture-perfect lifestyle that people thought we had couldn't have been further from the truth. But all of us kids, we all got together and we all had a pretty good time, I have to say that. Do you remember the time on Boxing Day with the boxing in the front lounge room? Not really, but I have been told many a time. It was hilarious. We decided because they said to me and Sharon, oh, what what's Boxing Day really for? And being young, really young, we just thought, oh, we'll tell them that's about boxing. Yeah. yeah, but he even ruined that because one of the girls said, ha, huh, he forgot to smack me once he come out and like got enraged because people dared to have fun on his watch. And she goes, oh, he forgot to smack me. So come up behind her. It's, pardon? Oh, well, I didn't get one. Yeah. He forgot me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, my God, did he get you? No, I never got one. Oh, okay, you were pretty lucky. Oh, my God, and we shouldn't be laughing, but if people could put this in context for what it was, like we used to have to make our own fun and we had a lot of fun police. Whenever he was around, he was making sure there was no fun. So I think like those little – they weren't little smacks, and I should never say that. Those hidings that we got for daring to have a little bit of fun – I think we weighed it up as, yeah, that's pretty pretty much worth it because it was fun. Yeah. But the siblings were close. We were all really close, I think. Yeah, we were. And if you had something to say, like, to people that ha- are putting their kids through, you know, domestic violence situations where they don't leave or whatever, what, what would you say to them? There is option. And the kids that witnessed it, they'll never forget. Never. No, they don't. No, because that's sort of put you in the position of making hard choices in your own life as well, hasn't it? Yep. I vowed my kids would never, ever, ever go through anything like I did. I think you've stuck pretty staunch to that, though. Yep. Like, you know, I know that you've been in a position where you had, like, somebody that you thought you would never marry, but you ended up marrying because, you know, you had a good relationship and you thought things were going to go one way they ended up going another way and you put yourself behind your children rather than thinking what was better for you. You thought, this is bad because all of my children are sons. If I teach them that this is okay, that's how they'll treat their wives. That's how they'll let their daughters be treated. You know, it's it come from your, I don't know what's the right word to use here. Like you just were determined I, I didn't want my kids to go through the same thing, I, whether it be the mental abuse, physical abuse. I didn't want them to experience any of it. Yeah. The emotional abuse. Yeah. I, I didn't. I tried to hide as much as I could from my kids. 
but you can only hide so much and then it gets to the point where you go, enough's enough, I can't do this anymore. My kids are getting older. They're going to be having kids soon. No, that is right. And I think you made those hard calls. So sometimes, they, even now, they still don't understand. But I think to a degree they do, but not completely. Yeah. But I, I guess it would be naive of us, of you or me, to expect other people out in the community to understand where we're coming from, where we have family members that um, are so adamant on protecting the truth that they're living in a lie themselves and they're letting their children live a lie. They're delusional. That's the only thing I can think of when they think that they had a certain childhood and it's far from the truth. Exactly. But it's dangerous. That's, it's kind of dangerous because the more that they ignored the truth, even though they've seen it, they knew what was happening in all different areas and they still continued to hide the truth. Because they only want to live in their reality. They can't deal, they will not be able to deal with facing what actually happened. And this is the way that they cope. Yeah, well, I think they've taught their children the wrong thing. That's, that's yeah. an opinion. It's up to people how they yeah. want to raise their children and whatever. And I, I mean, don't agree with, it, with what they're doing, and I don't under, agree with any of that. No. But this is, you can't make somebody acknowledge something. No, exactly. I think we spent our years trying to, though. I think we tried really hard to put the stick tape on there and the band-aids on there and trying to fix these old wounds and whatever born people want to live in that lie ronnie i don't think there's any going back for that no i don't think so either the other thing with that was some people value money over anything else keeping their families living in a lie and all the while putting these big fractures and making other people look like... So the, the thing is, is, yeah, money helps. Ultimately, money makes the world go around, but it doesn't help you what's inside. No, definitely. Oh, the bottom line is we've, we're, we've made our own money. We're not like the others anyway because we no. didn't stay there and bolster up this facade. I couldn't, I, I couldn't be paid. Yeah, exactly. Like. Exactly. For my memories. I could not be paid for my feelings. No, exactly. No, because you turned out to be one staunch little girl for the one that they thought that they could bully and, you know, do some really grotesque things to and, like, tease you and bully you and be nasty. And as long as I wasn't there, as long as Sharon or I weren't there, they, they'd have their good go. But, yeah. you know, you turned out to be stronger than all of them because look at you. Well, I'm a people watcher. I watch people. Mm. I watch their behaviours. Exactly. I think that's it. You can't be bought. You stand by your morals and your values and you're instilling those in your children and sharing them with the community and you do everything you can to make this place a better place for your children and grandchildren. And I think that's well done. All I, all I can do is try. That's exactly right. Wow, there's still so much to talk about, Ronnie. We haven't even scratched the surface of this. Would you want to come back and join us again and have another little chat? Yep, sure, not a problem. Sounds great. I look forward to it and we'll talk to you then. Not a problem. Thank you for listening to our Survivor Revival podcast. If you found our content valuable and want to hear more, we'd be grateful if you'd subscribe on your favourite platform. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. And give us a five-star rating so others can benefit from this content too. As always, if listening to this episode has triggered any concerns for you, please reach out to Lifeline or the local equivalent in your own country. Remember, we're always in your corner and you are not alone. Connect with us on Facebook at Survivor Revival or our website, survivorrevival.com. 
Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you in the next episode.